Today, I wanted to talk more about the resident assessment regulation, but the more I really look at this regulation, the more I think about the survey process and how much there is to talk about when it comes to the survey process. It's going to be very important that your MDS nurse is prepared when the surveyors come. Your MDS nurse plays a big role in survey if you will let them. Um, there are two forms that they've historically asked for when they come in to do your state survey, which is the 802 and the 672. If you just search for forms on the CMS website and just put in the number 802 or 672, you'll come up with two separate forms. And one of them is a matrix for providers. And the other one is a resident census and conditions of residence. So you're going to want to be prepared when the surveyors come. It's kind of up in the air what's going to happen with the survey process and exactly what the surveyors are doing because, um, because if you look at the state operations manual, chapter seven talks about survey and the enforcement process. And so it kind of talks about enforcement of survey, um, the informal dispute resolutions, things like that. So chapter seven talks about survey and enforcement. And then in appendix P, it talks about survey protocol. But when you try to look at the details of the new survey protocol, it just says reserved right now. So we're still waiting for them to update the survey protocol. So technically right now, it's still quote unquote reserved. So I'm just going to look at what they've done historically in the past to try to help you to prepare for the future. And I know that everything has been so crazy because of COVID and everything's been completely different because of COVID, but eventually surveys are going to resume and you're going to need to be prepared for survey again. And so I just want to talk about some of the major areas that the matrix for providers looks at. And I also want to talk about some of the major areas on this form 672, um, the resident census and conditions of residents. So in the past, okay, in case you're new to long-term care, like I was when I was a new DON. Um, I want to talk about the different areas of the matrix for providers. So, okay, so the surveyors would come in and they would say, okay, where are your forms? And eventually you would have to produce uh, form 802 and 672. So I'm just going to talk about some of the things that are on these forms so that you can have a general idea. And you can pull up the forms yourself on cms.gov. Just again, I, I told you search for forms 802-672. Even though um, when they talk about how they have a new survey process, they don't talk about form 802 anymore, but they talk about a different way of doing that. Um, they have updated the 802 form to reflect the new survey process. So the new survey process, um, they want a completed matrix for new admissions over the last 30 days. So um, before they wanted a, ro a roster sample matrix, um, just the form 802. So it's a little bit different. But... Um, 
what's important is what's on these forms and what you're going to need to know about every single resident and filling out these forms. So you're going to want to have all your residents on the matrix for providers, the form 802. And you'll put the resident room number and then you'll put the date of admission because they want the last 30 days of admissions, every resident that was admitted. They really want to look at how you're handling the admission process. So the admission process is really important. So when the resident gets to the facility, like if they're a diabetic, are you immediately, you know, are you attending to their needs as a diabetic? If they... Um, if they're on Coumadin or if, or if they're on some type of blood thinner where you need to check their PTINR, are you doing that from the get-go? They're going to look at that resident from the time that they were admitted and they're going to look at their major needs and see if you were meeting those needs. So some of the things that they're looking at, okay, so they're going to want to know the residents that were admitted over the past 30 days. They're going to want to know if those residents have Alzheimer's or dementia. And they're going to be looking at psychotropic drugs because you cannot manage an Alzheimer's or dementia patient with psychotropic drugs. You have to be sure that you're meeting their needs and that you're documenting that you're meeting their needs. And if you do have them on any types of medications that are, um, that are like psychotropic medications, that you're discussing those medications in your psychotropic meetings and you are documenting how those medications are helping the patient and there's a doctor that's an appropriate doctor who has prescribed those medications. So sometimes, for example, an Alzheimer's patient, they won't necessarily be on a psychotropic drug, but they'll be on an antidepressant. But you're also talking about drugs like that in your psychotropic meeting. So you should be having a psychotropic meeting once a month, and you should be discussing any medications that the patient is on. And if they are on a psychotropic medication, then you're going to want to reduce the use of the medication if it doesn't have a medical um, justification. So the people that can help you to know if it's medically justified are, um, are the doctor, your medical director, and also your pharmacist can help with that too. Your pharm somebody from pharmacy should be at your psychotropic meeting. So, um, they're going to be looking at your PASAR level twos also. So they're going to be look at patient, looking at patients that are admitted. Do they have dementia? Are, are, you are you trying to manage them with psychotropic medications? If you are, are those medications appropriate? Because generally you can't, you have to be sure that you're making, you have to be sure that you're meeting the needs of dementia patients. So sometimes dementia patients will cry and scream if they're hungry or if they're thirsty, or if they're dirty. So you have to have it documented that you're meeting their needs. So if somebody's crying out again and again, you can't just automatically give them Ativan, for example. You have to document that they have been hydrated, that they have had their physical needs met, and that if you are using any medications, that they're appropriate. And then you have to document the effects of those medications. So, but one really important thing is to manage your Alzheimer's and dementia patients by being sure that you're documenting that you're meeting their needs. Um, so the PASAR level two is people who have, they're wanting to make sure that um, people who have 
let me just read it to you here so I don't say it the wrong way. Um, residents who have a serious mental disorder, intellectual disability, or related condition um, must have a PASAR level 2 evaluation and determination. So what they're looking at here is they want to make sure that people who have um, serious mental disorders or intellectual disabilities are not warehoused in nursing homes. Nursing homes are generally not appropriate for those types of patients. They don't want patients like that warehoused at nursing homes. So there needs to be a reason that they're in a facility, um, a medical reason that they're there and that they need care there. And so you need to have a PASAR level two filled out. And that's a screening that they do upon admission for people with intellectual disabilities. So talk to your admission coordinator and you can find your PASAR form and you can take a look at it. Make sure that on every single admission that you're doing a PASAR screening for people to make sure that if they do have an intellectual disability or if they have a mental disorder that you're evaluating for patients like that and you're making sure to complete a PASAR screening. Um, so next on this uh, matrix, they want to look to see if you have any patients who are receiving uh, in insulin care, already talked about that, anticoagulants. They want to make sure that you are following up on those um, patients from the get-go. If they have a diuretic, um, you're making sure that you're checking their electrolytes with certain diuretics. Um, so they're going to be looking at diuretics. They're going to be looking at opioids. Are they appropriate? Are the pain medications that you're giving appropriate? When patients are in pain, are they being medicated? And is the, is the treatment effective? And if it's not effective, have you changed the treatment and tried to effectively treat um, a patient who is in pain. And if the patient is not in pain, are you giving them inappropriate medications? So they're going to be looking at, okay, so that medications that you should really be going over in your psychotropic meetings, especially, are hypnotics, anti-anxiety medications, antipsychotics, antidepressants. Um, and then you want to make sure that you're appropriately treating people. So before, when I was a director of nursing, every single admission that came in, I would look to see, I would look at that admission and I would think to myself, okay, what's the major reason that they're here? So like, for example, if a patient came in with a hip fracture, okay, what are we doing to manage their pain? Pain's going to be a major thing. We're going to want to make sure that we monitor their surgical incision and we're going to want to make sure that we monitor their wound. Okay, so you want to make sure that you're really treating the patient for the reason that they're there. And if they're like, say that this is a diabetic person who had a hip fracture and had surgery and now they're coming for rehabilitation and they're being admitted for rehabilitation after they've had hip surgery. So you want to make sure that you're monitoring their wound. You want to make sure that you're treating them for pain. And you want to make sure that you're really treating the reason that they're, you know, you're treating them for the reason that they're there. So think of the major reason that they're there. Are they there because they need to have their activities of daily living needs met because they have Alzheimer's dementia? Okay, if that's the case, you want to look and look at their medications. Are they inappropriately be, being treated 
for behaviors with psychotropic medications. You want to make sure that they're not. You want to make sure that you are going to educate your CNAs about meeting the needs of residents who scream out. Um, You want to make sure that they're being checked to be sure that they are clean, they are hydrated, and they are fed, and that their activity needs are being met. So like people get bored. They need something to do. So make sure that their activity needs are being met. Okay, so the next thing on this matrix is pressure ulcers. So upon admission, you look at the skin of every single resident. If they have anything wrong with their skin, you better make sure that you're treating any wounds. And if your treatment is not effective, um, you're going to want to change the treatment and try something different. And you may have to have them go out to a wound clinic if your treatment is ineffective and they need more specialized help with their wounds. So be looking at pressure ulcers and look at any kind of problems with their skin. Um, With pressure ulcers, what they're going to do and what they're going to expect us to be doing as providers, they expect us to measure wounds. And that means you measure the length and the width and then the depth of the wound every time you do a dressing change. Is it getting smaller? Is it healing? If it's not, you need to change the treatment. And you need to know that if a surveyor comes in and they look at your wound documentation and a wound is getting bigger, your measurements are getting bigger, then you're going to have a problem. You have to make sure that the wound is becoming smaller. So another thing they're going to be looking at is weight loss. Um, If somebody's having weight loss, it means that they have an issue. And, you know, they could have a swallowing issue. They could have an issue where they're not eating. Um, So they're going to be looking at weight loss. And they're going to want to make sure that you have a dietitian involved. If somebody's having unexplained weight loss or a lot of weight loss, you want to make sure that you're giving them supplements, you're providing them with food that they like to eat. Do their dentures fit? So you want to make sure that um, their dentures are fitting and that they, they're not having like some kind of dental problem. Dental problems are a big thing they're going to look at. They're going to see, okay, if a patient had a dental problem, did you send them to a dentist? Did you resolve the dental issue? Do your CNAs brush residents' teeth that are not able to brush their own teeth? Make sure that you're providing good dental care. Um, They're going to be looking at tube-fed residents to make sure that uh, the head of the bed is up 30 degrees and that um, while the tube feed is running, they're going to be looking to make sure that you're appropriately administering tube feedings. They're going to be looking at residents for dehydration. Um, So... If a resident is identified with actual hydration concerns, then that's going to be an issue. So make sure that you're keeping your residents hydrated and then physical restraints, pretty much avoid them, avoid them, avoid them, avoid them, and never use bed rails. Bed rails cause more problems than they solve. So physical restraints, chemical restraints, um, pretty much Stay away from physical restraints and chemical restraints unless they are absolutely unavoidable. And so, um, and pretty much you don't want to use 
physical restraints. I'm going to read you what it says here on the matrix form about physical restraints. Residents who have a physical restraint in use are going to look at this. A resident is defined as the use of any a restraint is defined as the use of any manual method, physical or mechanical device, material or equipment attached or adjacent to the resident's body that the individual cannot remove easily which restricts freedom of movement or normal access to one's body, e.g. bed rail, trunk restraint, limb restraint, chair, prevents rising, mitts on hands, confined to room, etc. Do not code wander guards as restraints. Okay, so wander guards are not considered restraints. But you don't want to restrain residents because it it increases the risk for skin problems. It increases the risk for um, the resident being able to hydrate themselves, other things like that. Physical restraints are not good. Another thing they're going to be looking at is falls. Every single morning in your stand-up meeting, you should be talking about falls and falls with injury or major injury. And remember how I talked to, how I talked about abuse um, and injuries of unknown origin. Um, have to be reported as possible abuse. So remember that. And so every morning in your stand-up meeting, you should be talking about falls. Who had a fall? Why did it happen? Did you update the care plan? What did you do to prevent future falls? And you're going to want that documented. And then if you have injuries of unknown origin, you have to report that to the state as potential you know, it could possibly be that the resident was abused. And so you have to complete an investigation and then you have to report the results of your investigation to the state also. So indwelling urinary catheters, if somebody comes in with a catheter, you have to do a catheter justification worksheet. So you have to have a form justifying why this patient has a catheter in because the patient is going to get an infection from that catheter. So you have to remove it. You have to remove it in a timely manner unless they have some medical condition that would justify the use of the catheter. And then you have to document that on a, just, on a catheter justification worksheet. Okay, so you have to have some type of documentation justifying why you're using the catheter. Um, you document any patient who is receiving dialysis and you have to document things prior to their dialysis and after their dialysis to identify complications and problems from dialysis. Hospice. You have to identify residents who are on hospice services because you have to coordinate with hospice. You have to coordinate with them and have a hospice care plan. You have to talk to them. You have to communicate with the hospice who is treating the patient and you have to have it on the care plan. End of life, comfort care, palliative care. Um, so tracheostomies, if anybody has a trach, uh, you have to document that. You have to make sure that you're caring for the trach appropriately. Ventilator, residents who are receiving invasive mechanical ventilation, you have to have documentation of that. And um, transmis transmission-based precautions. People who are on isolation, you have to also document that. So an IV therapy and infections. Infections are a big one. There's a whole regulation about infections. And with coronavirus, 
I am sure everybody has discovered how important it is to pay attention to infections in the building. You should have an infection preventatist. It's a nurse who is specialized in in um, infection control, and you should have one nurse who handles only infection control. So think about all of these things. Now, when your MDS nurse does her assessment, she should be looking at all of these different areas for every single person that she does an MDS assessment on. She should be helping you keep up these forms, these this 802 and 672. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with Appendix P and the service, the survey protocol, what they're actually going to ask for and do when they come. Um, I'll continue to look at Appendix P of the State Operations Manual on the CMS website to see exactly what they're going to end up doing. But um, I, I will continue to look at that and just see how it goes. I no longer am daily involved in long-term care, but for many, many years I worked in long-term care. And I'll tell you, um, I know that surveys will continue and you're going to have to continue to follow all of these rules. So just being familiar with what the surveyors are going to look at and being familiar with what your MDS nurse is going to be assessing the patient for, I think it's really good that when you're looking at this assessment regulation to also look at the 802 and the 672. Now the 802 I just discussed the 672 and everything that's on the 672. Now, the 802, they look at bowel and bladder status. They look um, at, at, once again, they look to see if patients have a catheter, to see if they're incontinent, to see if they have a toileting program if they are incontinent. They're going to look at their mental status, skin integrity, and their mobility, um, special care like hospice, chemotherapy, dialysis, IV therapy, respiratory treatments, uh, things like that. They're going to look at to see if the patient is getting special care, suctioning, injections, tube feedings, um, assistive devices with eating. They're going to be looking at medications. So they want to know if the patient is on any psychoactive medication and why are they on it? Can you justify them being on it? They're going to want to know that. Antipsychotic medications, anti-anxiety medications, antidepressants, hypnotics, antibiotics. Know about your antibiotic stewardship program. And we're going to talk about that in depth and detail when I talk about the infection control regulation. But know what medications the patient is on. And then um, know about weight loss or weight gain. Um, patients who have non non-oral communication devices. So if a patient can't talk and they use a little chalkboard to communicate, make sure that's in their care plan. Make sure that you are providing them with the things that they need. Make sure that everybody has the opportunity to um, fill out an advanced directive. Make sure that that's done. And make sure that also upon admission that you're doing all immunizations, like you're offering people any kind of immunization um, that they need mainly um, flu, pneumonia vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine. Um, make sure that you're completing all of those things upon admission because what they're going to do is they're going to look at your past 30 days of admissions. Did you do everything that you were supposed to? And it can feel overwhelming if you're not keeping up 
on this on a daily basis. And if you don't have specific people assigned to look at specific things, because if one person takes it all on themselves, it can get overwhelming. I know that the DON position is one that is hard to fill because the director of nursing, she handles all of this herself normally. And that is not how it should be. That's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is because I think there is a better way. The DON position should be a position that is sought after, that people want, but it's getting to the point now in long-term care where it's really hard to find a director and to keep them there um, sometimes because it can be very, very overwhelming if you don't have a good team. So Um, I just want to give the idea that you can put different people in charge of different things. But number one, you have to know how to get to the rules that you're supposed to follow. You have to be familiar with the survey process. So the the next regulation that we're talking about is the um, resident assessment regulation. So I still haven't gone over the regulation itself because there's so much to talk about before we talk about this regulation because I just want you to really know how important the MDS nurse is and how much she can be involved in helping you to prepare for your survey and how important these resident assessments that she's doing, how important they are because they're going to determine how much you get paid for the resident. They're going to determine what shows up on the CASPER reports that the surveyors look at. So we'll talk about all of that more later too, but I hope this has been helpful. And this is a little podcast about the 802 and the 672. So I've gone over everything that's on the um, 802 and 672. Go to the CMS website, type in forms 802, 672, search for forms and print out an 802 and a 672 and look at them. And then every day, now if you haven't been doing it in the past, just from today on, keep track of every new admission. And then look at this 802 and 672 and keep track of these patients and what what's wrong with them? Why are they there? And are you doing a good job to meet their needs. By filling out these forms, you can um, you can tell if you're doing a good job. Every day, talk about falls, talk about abuse in your stand-up meetings. And I will talk to you again tomorrow about resident assessments. I hope this podcast has been helpful. And I hope you have a great day. And I hope you'll learn to utilize everyone on your team to help you to prepare for survey. Because that'll make it so much better. So I hope you have a great day. Bye.